Welcome to another edition of Inside the Economy. I'm Larry Howes. Thanks for joining me. Just want to talk about a couple of things, a very important thing, the consumer, specifically the consumer debt. And uh, we'll talk about nitrogen here towards the end. There's not a lot of drama in the numbers, the ISM numbers came in fine, the non-manufacturing numbers at 61. Remember, anything above 50 is considered expansion. And that's based upon the growth between what they're ordering and what they did last month. It's momentum. CPI number came in at 5.4. Tiny bit of correction between the 5.3 we had last time. It's more the aging of the data. Inflation is not spiraling. It's kind of stewing right now. We'll get back to that. Core number hasn't changed. Jobless claims are down, unemployment is down. The only thing that's really up in all of this thing is oil, and we'll talk about that a little tiny bit. So, permanent job losses are a huge deal when you come out of recession. And some of you have seen this before. Sometimes it takes six, seven years to replace a lot of permanent job losses, depending upon how you're hit in a recession. The red up here is this latest recession, shortest, least dramatic on record, as are the return of the permanent jobs. There has been some adjusting to places like restaurants and hourly workers. That's not the best part of the data for a permanent job. But clearly in this marketplace, as the jobs adjust, there have been a lot of people shifting around, mostly hourly workers trying to get out of $9 an hour into 15 or 16 even some of the fast food restaurants have really shown a dramatic difference in how they reacted. Some places like Chick-fil-A and a little bit of McDonald's from what I've seen improved their wages, tried to attract people, made their food more expensive, but they got back in operation. There are a lot of restaurants that didn't. There's a lot of restaurants that weren't able to recruit people. Maybe it was overpay, maybe it was overworking conditions. Uh, they disappeared in a very competitive town like Denver and the other hot real estate markets, Austin, Charlotte, Boise. You have very little time to correct your operation or you're out. That's happened a lot here. So on the consumer side of things, disposable income has been growing really since the 60s on a slope just like this. And it has gone back to that slope and continued its growth. Fundamental earnings, pay raises, that kind of thing. Not so much hourly. There's a little tiny increase in the slope based on hourly payments. That isn't where the big money is. But if you look at the little spikes, we know what the spikes were. That was all the stimulus money that was paid out during the COVID incident. Only place in the world where income spikes up during a pandemic. The rest of the world, and I've told you before, the United States threw more stimulus money during COVID than the rest of the world combined. And it went into personal income, which <laughs> that's what you do when consumers are 70% of your economy. This was very positive. Debt, you notice, has been growing very slowly since 2010. Very low slope, not a lot of drama. This is total debt. It's just shy of about $14 trillion right now. And as everybody knows, it's mortgages, mostly mortgages. Almost $10 trillion of it is mortgages. 
little bit of loans, a little bit of car loans, a little bit of revolving credit, nothing very dramatic. What you have is one side is most of the debt are mortgages. And if you look at the slope and the growth and the changes in price of real estate, which is what this is, this is Case Schiller, really been dramatic, exceeded what we were in 2008. Well, it isn't that they've acquired so much debt. Two-thirds of these deals are all cash. No impact on the mortgage market, no impact on the debt market, just sort of a transfer out of the bank into the equity and real estate. The other side of this, you notice the red, which is the estimated, projected change in the value of the growth of real estate going forward is going to come down. It doesn't mean the real estate market is going to collapse. It means that the growth is going to slow. Again, in a lot of places, the very popular markets, Austin, Denver, Charlotte, you know what they are. The growth is very likely to slow, especially if the Fed increases rates sometime in the next six months and takes a 3% 30-year mortgages and turns it into a 3.5% 30-year mortgage, that will cool things off a little bit. That's how sensitive people are in this marketplace. The other side of the consumer spending and what the consumer is in the United States really is the whole ball game. It is where everybody wants to sell. It is the buyer of the world's goods is basically the U.S. consumer, not entirely, but the big numbers. The situation has developed that income has grown a little bit faster than the very boring growth of debt. So the ability for consumers to pay debt is better than it has been in a long time. It's not just interest rates. That's helped a little bit. If you look at the dates after 2010, we've had no inflation, no increase in interest rates. Money has been basically free. That has kept it flat, but it's still the fundamental growth in income disposable income for the typical consumer that has made this better, made the ability to pay more debt better. They've just not been acquiring debt as fast as they've been acquiring more money. It's a nice place to be. Since the consumer in the U.S. is most of GDP, this is another reason that the GDP in the U.S., certainly in 2022, is going to remain positive even though it's going to adjust down. We'll probably be down to two by January. The inflation side of things, if you look at the green here, that's energy. It has been a big component this last year. Well, the Russians want income, the Saudis want income. Uh, a lot of production has slowed in the US and Canada, so on and so forth. And right now, natural gas is kind of a big thing. Europe needs natural gas. England needs natural gas. The new pipelines, in some respects, if you hop in the sack with the Russians, counting on them to give you natural gas, and they go, well, we aren't getting enough, so they turn the valve off, you kind of get the impact on what's happening there. Right now, the Germans and most of the Europeans are hoping they can have gas to stay warm this year. The Chinese want to stay warm using coal, and they're having the same problem. They irritated their number one supplier, Australia, so they've been buying it from the U.S. You notice all the coal trains going west to Long Beach. The other side of the CPI component is goods. Normally, you go back a couple of years on this chart, you see there's not a lot of inflation in goods. 
The shelves were stocked. Everything was readily available. You go to Amazon, get anything you want in various prices. Well, right now, we've got a lot of stuff sitting in containers off Long Beach. There's a lot of stuff that has gone up in price that's had an impact in the inflation. There's a lot of stuff that people wanted to buy since they're buying a lot of new houses and staying home. So the inflation in goods is a big component and energy. The rest of it, not so much. These two components are the most transitory, which is what the Fed keeps talking about. Inflation's going to be here. It's already inflated processed food, delivered food, types of goods, gasoline's up a little bit, consumption's already coming down. It's transitory. It's not there and it's not going to keep going. All right. Oil is up. It's trying to stabilize itself where it should be. I mean, it was down at 35 for a little while and everybody's sort of party, but it really has no basis to stay down there. Uh, 60's a little low too, but mid-70s, low-70s, fine. We'll see where it goes. Right now, the, right now, OPEC is withholding about a half a million barrels of oil production a day to try and prop the price up. It's working. Saudi Arabia wants to do a huge multi-billion dollar bond sale to pay for another pipeline, kind of driving the price up. Russians are withholding a fair amount of production, certainly in gas, trying to get the price up. It's working. That view of the producers in that side of the world, they're trying to get the price up to a marketable range where they can go back to having cash flow. All right, so we'll talk about nitrogen here for a little minute. Uh, tiny piece of history. It was early in the 1900s. There was some scientific work done, probably very valid work that said there was enough naturally recurring nitrogen on Earth to feed about 4 billion people. I think over the course of time, that calculation, it's a little bit debatable, but it's basically accurate. Rainfall, bird dropping, so on and so forth, naturally recurring nitrogen. You have to have nitrogen to have plants. If you haven't got plants, you haven't got anything. So in the early 1900s, Germany specifically started using natural gas and a few other things to create manufactured nitrogen. It's extraordinarily important. They originally started it be because they wanted explosives for World War I, but it turned out there's a much better long-term market in fertilizer to grow food. And here's where we are with processed nitrogen right now. All the way to the right, and this is only 2014, it's over 100 million tons that's manufactured every year. And you have to have that fertilizer because we're coming up on 8 billion people right now. Sometimes I hear the, and I don't want to make anything demeaning about sustainability and farming and so on and so forth, but it's, it's a silly concept for the rest of the world. They have to have manufactured nitrogen or they can't grow anything. Very few places are able to be sustainable with rainfall and good soil, so on and so forth, to grow enough to feed a few people. But if you have to have 5,000 fed with the work of one, which is kind of where we are, you have to have fertilizer. Now, North America, and that's US and Canada, 
don't need as much as the rest of the world does. It's Europe and Asia. They have to have it. They have huge numbers of mouths to feed and very, very thin soil, low margins. Unfortunately, a lot of this natural gas problem coming into Europe and Germany, which is where this nitrogen is manufactured, a lot of it, they're saying subtly, oh, gee, we're having problems getting this fertilizer out. You want to think in terms of that being bad news. Even though it's not going to have an impact for nine or ten months, but it's potentially, you have to know that if you're so dependent on this one chemical, here again, that's Asia and India, mostly, a little bit of Europe, it's not a very attractive place to invest. God, I don't want to make money seem more important than people eating. But you don't want to invest there because they have such a potential huge downside when the crops or if the crops start failing and you cannot move forward without nitrogen. Okay. Finally, a couple more questions on China. Geez, all the growth and all the glory and all the GDP numbers and all the greatness in China, was it really dependent on the real estate market? Yes. Real estate market and a few federal projects and bridges and some Olympic stuff, so on and so forth. This is basically residential real estate under construction since about 2000. This is measured in acres. It's a big number. You know, we're about one and a half million acres of residential space right now. The occupation of this is very low. There are some great and wonderful projects going on out there, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to what's already been built and what's escalated in a theoretical marketplace simply not been sold. This is going to have to shrink. It's going to have a huge impact everywhere in China. No way is it a good place to invest. Okay, enough. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm always happy to answer these questions. Send them along to info at shwj.com. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks.